Hello and welcome to the Minds on the Frontline podcast, brought to you by the Wayne State University Frontline Strong Together 5 program. The Minds on the Frontline podcast is designed to inform, educate, and entertain first responders, their families, and the public regarding the realities of frontline work-related mental health challenges. In this episode, we will introduce you to Dr. Arash Javanbacht, who is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at Wayne State University School of Medicine. In addition, Dr. Javanbacht is the Director of Stress, Trauma, and Anxiety Research Clinic, or STARC. Doc has vast experience studying and treating people with PTSD, as well as many other mental and behavioral health disorders. In addition, he has been one of the driving forces behind the Frontline Strong Together 5 program, or FST5. We are also joined by Manisha Leary, who is a clinical therapist and the manager of the FST5 program. During this episode, Dr. Javenbacht will define and describe post-traumatic stress disorder. In addition, he will describe how PTSD impacts first responders. Finally, Dr. Javenbacht will describe various treatment options for people suffering from PTSD. This turned out to be a fantastic episode that provides a solid foundation for understanding post-traumatic stress disorder. And now our hosts, Jeff Lassers and Mike Mattern. Mike, welcome back to another episode. Episode four. Here we are. We're back for four. (laughs) Getting to the point now where I'm a little surprised they're keeping us around, but they keep telling us we're doing a good job, so let's roll with it. Well, I think we just keep showing up and they're just not telling us to leave. (laughs) They're too kind. (laughs) Yeah, they're too kind. Speaking of too kind, we just sat down with Dr. Arash not too long ago to record this episode. And man, Dr. Arash is a very energetic, hyper-motivated, thoughtful, caring individual who happens to be working on PTSD and the effects of trauma on human beings right here at Wayne State University, but also with the Frontline Strong Together 5 program. Tell us a little bit about him. You've known him a lot longer than I have. I really got to know him during the interview, which was an absolute pleasure. Well, I met Dr. Rosh a long time ago. He actually came out and did a third ride at our station with us. He came out, rode the rescue because he really wanted to dig in and see what we did and how we operate and what our day is like to really get a good idea of what we deal with. That in itself is really who Dr. Arash is. He gets he gets his hands dirty, he gets out into the field, wants to see exactly what we see. And really what he's done is not only take a, a treatment approach, but he's also working on figuring out how stress and PTSD on the molecular level yeah. changes our body chemistry, changes uh, things in our minds. And actually doing research to see to find out how it affects even down to that level. Yeah, it's like, a stream of consciousness when he talks and an excitement behind it. Yes. With enthusiasm about what he's talking about with the goal in mind of helping people. You can you can literally feel that energy come out of him. Yes. And a and a personality to oh, go huge. to go along with it. Yeah. He great, fits in well with great us. Person, yes, great personality, <laughs> always joking around. But with it, he also has the, the smarts behind it, you yeah. know, and he's, he's someone who, if, if you really want to learn about PTSD and, and how it changes you, this is the dude to listen to. Yeah. And that's why we brought him here. We really got into what PTSD is and what it isn't mm-hmm. and comparing and contrasting to some other things that sometimes get conflated with PTSD, as well as getting into the signs of symptoms, prevention, intervention from a guy who's very well uh, versed in how these things happen. Absolutely. I think if 
if you think you've had PTSD or you, you think you know someone who does or has or whatever, this is a great episode to listen to. I mean, this is the information coming right from the source. Everybody gets online, you know, hits the keyboard and goes, well, I think I got this. I think I got this, whatever. But this is a real good episode to listen to for any first responder, because let's face it, we all deal with something that changes us in one way or the other. And then we wonder, well, how much has it changed us? Am I at that point? Am I, do I have PTSD? Do I not have PTSD? Why might I have it? This is the episode to listen to when it comes to trying to answer a lot of those questions because the information that he puts out will make it very clear where, where you're at on it. So I think it's a good episode to, to definitely dig in. Or if you know somebody who you think might be dealing with it, this would be a good episode to send to them and, and say, hey, just take a listen. And at the end of it, if, you know, if it comes up, then uh, we've got resources here at Wayne State and the Frontline Strong Program. And Dr. Arash is going to be one of the people that you can talk to about it. Absolutely. Even if you don't have any signs or symptoms yourself, you don't see them in anybody else, it's a good one to understand what it is. Absolutely. And I think it's a great foundational education. And it's curated by uh, two firefighter paramedics who speak first responders. So don't expect this to be overly scientific and really a good conversation. Oh, we definitely simplify everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. With no further ado, Dr. Rosh and Manisha will be joining us as well. So thank you again for joining us, Manisha Leary. Dr. Rosh, how are you? It's a pleasure. I'm good. How are you? Very well. Why don't you start off by telling everybody who you are, what you do, and where you do it? I'm Dr. Arash Jawambacht. I'm a medical doctor, psychiatrist. I'm specialized in trauma and stress and anxiety. I am director of Stress, Trauma and Anxiety Research Clinic, or as we call it, Stark at Wayne State University. And so I'm a clinician researcher on the clinic side. I work with all sorts of traumatized people, civilians, uh, refugees, survivors of torture, survivors of human trafficking, first responders. And on the research side, I look at the neurobiology of how Trauma and stress affect the brain and the body from epigenetics to inflammation to autonomic responses and fight and flight system. As well, I look at the longitudinal impact of trauma and stress in the refugees and in first responders, environmental factors, as I said, biological factors of how symptoms over time evolve as well. I am involved in research of advancing our treatment methods. First of all, knowing how treatment methods work and how they change the brain and the body and how we can advance them and make them better and more efficient, whether it's talking cure and psychotherapy or use of mixed reality and augmented reality or artificial intelligence in improving our uh, mental health, specifically focused on first responders. That's an incredibly well-rounded and edge-of-the-envelope approach to this. This is not some uh, read-the-book think about your childhood, discuss it, and then hopefully you feel better in an hour type situation. It sounds like you're getting at to the nanoparticles of why I feel the way that I feel, assigning not only that emotional capacity, but like, hey, there's some like just genetic predispositions to our brain has a chemistry. It reacts to certain things for survival or whatever it needs to be. And it's not as easy as just talking sometimes. That was a beautiful description of what I do better than I could do. And, and as a clinician, I see that my duty to, because I'm not just detailed and focused on the basic sciences, I want to have some research that has real clinical impact and really moves the ball in helping people. Because that's, at the end of the day, what I do will not affect how we help people be better and feel better than we have wasted our time. So it sounds like you are the perfect person to talk about PTSD, right? And that's what we're really getting into in this episode. 
And we'd like you to help us really define and describe post-traumatic stress disorder for our audience of first responders, EMS, fire, police, all those people that interact with human beings that may have this, but they might be working with people that might have that, and they might have it. So first, state the problem. What is PTSD? Yeah, PTSD actually is a terminology that sometimes, I mean, historically has been very much underutilized, and now sometimes you see it's overutilized, and there is some pop culture to, uh, description of PTSD, and then there is a real scientific uh, understanding of what PTSD is. So basically, post-traumatic stress disorder is one of those conditions, rare actual psychiatric conditions, that necessarily needs an experience, an event happening. Because let's say someone could be anxious and anxiety could be totally biological, right? But when it comes to PTSD, we need an external event that leads to the symptoms. That event has to be something very horrific. Sometimes people say, oh, I had a difficult breakup or I had some challenge at work and that led to PTSD. Of course, for first responders, those challenges are different. But let's say in my academic work, oh, I had this uh, difficulty with my colleague or boss and that led to PTSD. No. Events that we talk about that can lead to PTSD are horrific experiences that can lead to basically death or serious injury to someone's physical or mental integrity or sexual assaults, which are like war experiences, serious motor vehicle accidents, assault, rape, robbery, shooting, life-threatening situations. And the exposure could be whether to that person, I may be in a shooting and I'm shot at, or could be exposure to the aftermath or seeing it or witnessing it happen to others or hearing details of happening, it, it happening to others who are close to us. And in terms of first response, in case of first response, there's a lot of this exposure. I mean, there is the first kind. You may be in an environment that there's a shooting and you're shot at or a roof may collapse on you as a firefighter where you are there. But the indirect exposure is the most common, where you go there and see the aftermath, or you do a CPR and someone dies, or, or you see the uh, people, uh, victims of abuse, or mutilations, or dead bodies, all the things that first responders experience on a regular basis. Then this, in a subgroup of people, may lead to development of symptoms. So it's important to understand PTSD is not a plus-minus illness. It's not, that, it's not like COVID that you either have it or you don't have it. It's not an infection that you have or don't have. Why? Because different people react differently to trauma. It could basically create a range of symptoms. I may feel my heart is pounding and have, almost having a panic attack, or I may feel dissociated. I may feel not wanting to talk to anyone. I may feel highly anxious. And then the symptoms can range, let's say, from 0% to 100% full-blown symptoms. To have a mutual clinical understanding and language between myself and my research partners or clinicians, we draw a line at some level in the symptoms spectrum and say, okay, over is above 70%, we call it PTSD, which has all this symptom A, B, C, D, E, F, and I will talk about those. But it doesn't mean that someone who's 69 or 65 is not affected. We just don't call it PTSD. So people have different reactions to trauma. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. Some people may start using uh, alcohol or drugs to basically soothe themselves on their symptoms. And then some people have more trauma symptoms. So trauma symptoms, related symptoms, which when combined together, all it will be uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, are in different categories. One is basically brain goes to fight and flight mode because something horrible happened, something that could lead to my death. For us as humans, we have evolved to the most important priorities to stay alive. If you're not alive, there, nothing else matters. So brain goes in fight and flight mode. It's always constantly screening for danger, wants to prevent this happening again. It's as if I'm in the combat zone. 
for a long time for some people for the rest of my life. The person has continuous flashbacks. Flashbacks are just basically perceptual experiences. You see the things, you hear the things. Some people, like victims of uh, rape and assault, t- feel the touch or sense a smell. They are intrusive memories. The memories of the event keep coming and keep coming. You push them away, they keep coming. At night, you're in the bed and they keep rushing in your mind. Frequent nightmares. Nightmares don't have to necessarily be the nightmare related to what happened. It could be different nightmares. I've had first responders, let's say they have been in a shooting and now they have a nightmare that someone is chasing them. It's not shooting, but there's a uh, terrifying, basically, experience. And then there are symptoms of basically avoidance. Person wants to avoid anything that could be a reminder of the experience. People could avoid the time of the day. They could avoid the place that this happened. They could avoid uh, things that are related to this. Recently, I saw a bus driver who had some horrible experience during the work, and now this person doesn't want to be around buses. Anytime they hear a sound of a bus, they feel uncomfortable. It could also even link to the workplace. I've seen uh, firefighters and cops with PTSD who don't want to go to the workplace when they think even about it, they start having high level of anxiety. So any reminder of trauma can lead to symptoms, high anxiety, sometimes flashbacks, sometimes nightmares for people who have been in around shootings or war or combat, whether it's refugees or first responders or veterans. Let's say 4th of July is a tough day because the loud noises are reminders of the trauma. And basically, I've had veterans who just drop on the floor when they hear the noises because brain cannot dissociate between the sound of a gunshot and the sound of a, a firework. Basically, brain generalizes the fear to anything that is related to the experience the person had. And then there's the blah mood and the feeling of like basically dissociated from life, not being able to enjoy the things that made me happy and I had fun with them before I lose those experiences. So a constellation of all these symptoms leads to what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. So the post-traumatic stress disorder, literally when you go through that experience, it's really more defined as when you have those reminders or triggers, you're in that fight or flight immediately. Rather than, ooh, I really just don't like that, I'm uncomfortable. It really is that hypersensitivity to those triggers from that really bad experience rather than I just don't like it. Exactly. And, and, and then constant state of being on alert. Mm. You're always on alert. You're on edge. If you go to a restaurant, you sit in the, next to the door with your back to the wall when there's no one there where you can watch everybody and you're highly anxious and you said it very well. What determines basically a diagnosis is high level of distress or dysfunction, right? Mm. So as you said, if I just don't like it, it's not PTSD. It is affect, It has affected me to some extent, but when it comes to PTSD, the person cannot be there. The tra- symptoms are really stressing. The person has panic attack while they are near any reminder of the trauma. They are on edge to the point that I've had first responders that they cannot leave their home and go to grocery store because brain has to screen anybody. So you cannot be around people because you're constantly screening everybody to make sure we are safe. So that is very high level of dysfunction and distress and anxiety and panic determines uh, when the, we call it what's quote unquote pathology or a disease that needs treatment. Thank you very much. Now uh, that describes really all humans. Can you help us dial into a more surgical approach to uh, focusing on how it manifests specifically in first responders and how it can be a little bit different, but also the same as every other human on the planet? Absolutely. Yes. So these are events that can be terrifying to any human. 
But what happens with first responders is that even like historically PTSD was seen more as a, a like veterans issue, right? So a veteran goes to the combat zone, they have their trauma, they come back, and now they're in the safe civilian home life. Well, first responders, first, the first thing is that trauma happens at home life. So your living environment and your trauma environment are not very different than each other. They uh, collide, and that makes it more co- confusing and complicated. The same restaurant that you want to go with your family, you have arrested someone, and they have been a fire next door to it. Or you have been called to, a, let's say, a CPR lab. And then there's the chronicity of continued exposure. There's number one is the continuous stress of the work because this is a stressful line of work. There is hours, the shifts, the night shifts, uh, being away from the family. So there's cumulative stress. And then on top of that, there's the recurrence of exposure. You go to a call and you see the dead bodies and the next day you may see a decapitated head and the next day you may be in the fire or shooting yourself. So it keeps repeating itself. If Let's say if I was assaulted, I had my safe life, then there was assault, then I go back to my safe life. For first responders, the exposure is too chronic and too much. And the type of trauma is mostly human-caused, right? For a lot of people, trauma is, let's say, the, the, the natural disaster, it's a serious car accident. But here, there's a lot of involvement of human as a cause of the trauma, whether to the person or what they're witnessing. And that is important because interpersonal trauma has a stronger impact. We have learned from our own research that it has a stronger impact in terms of causing symptoms and also trajectory of the symptoms. And this chronicity and repetition basically reduces the ability to do the recovery. In terms of symptoms, I've seen a lot of, as we call it, positive symptoms, which is the flashbacks and nightmares and uh, basically intrusive memories of the event that happened and a lot of precaution and basically easily startled kind of behavior, being avoidant, being uh, staying away from groups or from people, not wanting to associate with others, a kind of uh, like a, a paranoia which is caused both by the career and also the experiences that you want to just not be around when there's, uh, there's public because that is difficult for the brain to process. Thank you very much. As we close out here, uh, if we start to recognize those types of things in ourselves, or we recognize that some of our colleagues may be experiencing them, what should they do? And can you just lightly touch on the millions and the <laughs> huge spectrum of options people have? Because it can be really confusing once you say, okay, I got a problem. And like, where do I even start? You Google it. And all of a sudden you're like, nope, 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 done. Now my anxiety's kicked down again, right? So uh, just kind of give us an overview of the treatment of, that is available for people that are experiencing PTSD. I very much appreciate that question. And I believe it's very important because I believe one of the reasons there's a stigma around this issue is that people, first of all, it's terrifying. Second, people sometimes see it as a problem that's going to remain forever. So if I'm told I have a cold, it's easier for me to accept than take a pill versus when I'm told I have a cancer because that's something too serious and scares me and I will keep trying to fight it or sometimes deny it or ignore it. And like I just remembered, there was a story of like uh, some reporters came and talked to a police officer I treated with PTSD. And this person mentioned that I was, I'd seen multiple people and I was told that this is something I have to live with and it's going to stay and remain. And when I saw this doctor, I didn't remember. He remembered. He said the first time we met, at the end of the session, he smiled and said, we're going to fix it. And at that moment, I quote unquote, felt my feet and stood up and started fighting. So the first thing I wanted to say is that this can be helped. This can be fixed. 
This can be managed. This can be changed. This is not something that becomes a new part of the person's identity. And the other thing that I've uh, noticed a lot is sometimes first responders start to believe this is the normal. This is a normal reaction of this job to this job. This is part of me being uh, first responders, and it's going to live with me forever. No, it doesn't have to. And we have a lot of interventions, uh, a lot of them effective. Uh, one, uh, first, uh, actually, the first part of the question is what to do. So there are peers that, like there's some peer supports uh, programs that uh, people who have access to them, they can talk to them. They can even talk to peers who have received to help to basically warm up and feel this is not that scary. Uh, there are therapies, counseling that, that, can, uh, that can be done. And the resources of referral could be someone's primary care doctor. It could be programs like FST5. There are a lot of hotlines that uh, are, you can call and there are first responders there. You can respond to you and they can understand you. And I've seen that for first responders, it's sometimes difficult to see someone who hasn't worked with first responders because they feel like they cannot be understood as much. But there are a lot of people who are in this line. So there's talking, talk therapy, basically working on ways of learning how to cope with these symptoms, cope with the stressors, and basically reintegrate back to my life before this, be able to step us in a stepwise manner, go back to my life that I had before the trauma. Because, and I always tell people, the most important thing you have, and I want to work with you on, is your freedom. You have lost some of your freedom to fear. We want to take it back. You, it's all totally up to you. If you want to go to that grocery store or to that game night or to that uh, event, or not, but you want to choose. So we want to liberate you from the impact of the trauma. And there's a wide range of these treatments. There's talking, there's exposure therapy, there's cognitive therapy, basically looking at the cognitions I've developed based, uh, about, uh, based on the trauma and as a result of the trauma. For example, I'm a bad person, or this is, an, this is not a safe world anymore, or all these other different cognitions that we develop. And then uh, there are medications. I want to just say right off the bat, these medications are not, are not addictive. They don't want to zombify you. They're not going to change the person you are, the way you think. And basically all they have to do is to reduce the level of anxiety so the person can be more in charge and have a better sense of agency over their symptoms. And finally, we are working on some advanced treatments like the use of virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality, which is part of what we do in our lab to basically help people expose themselves in those, to those situations that they're avoiding because of the trauma so that the brain will learn that, okay, relearn the safety in these contexts. Thank you very much for that. We look forward to these more uh, neuroplastic opportunities in the future to be able to, to really identify the fact that, A, uh, I don't have to just assume this is normal and my brain is as plasticity. I can retrain it. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Very Thanks encouraging. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very much. There's a ton of hope. I'm very hopeful and positive about it. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is people just like you talked about, this isn't a lifelong sentence. If you get PTSD, there's things you can do for it. I mean, yeah. that's the biggest thing. I think people look at, they, they stand at the bottom of that mountain. They look up and they go, how am I going to make that to the top of that mountain? one step at a time and we'll get you there. So, I mean, that's perfect that you said that because that's one of the biggest fears people have is how am I going to take this all in and, and get past it? So that's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's for sure hope. Yeah, you and your family deserve a happy life. Every, do you, you have invested all your life in helping others, so you deserve to enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Minds on the Frontline podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We have more great content coming soon. Thank you for listening and have a great day.